You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, March 2nd. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. As the county digs out and cleans up, we've got the latest on the aftermath of this snowmageddon and the forecast as we anticipate the next one. In our Soups On segment, KVMR's Julia Jem breaks down the Board of Supervisors' ongoing effort to provide high-speed internet countywide. The California report finds that this wet, frigid winter is threatening the state's crops. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. With the cold conditions we've seen across the state this week, farmers are working to protect their crops. In the Central Valley, KVPR's Carrie Klein reports on the stakes. You know those gorgeous blossoms we're seeing on almond, orange, and peach trees? Those give rise to baby fruit, and they can be damaged by frost and freezing temperatures. According to Ryan Jacobson, CEO of the Fresno County Farm Bureau, even worse is hail. You can wipe out a complete crop before it even gets started because it just completely knocks off the blossoms there. Weather could affect another factor, too. Bees. Right now, as many as 90% of the country's bees are in California to pollinate almond trees. But bees can't fly when it's colder than around 55 degrees. There's several days where we're looking at the highs maybe in the high 40s there, which uh, means very little pollination is going to be done during that window. Best case scenario? Pollination just happens a little later than usual, as long as the blossoms stay on those trees. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein. And let's stay in the Central Valley. After struggling with low Medi-Cal insurance repayments and a shortage of nursing staff, Madera Community Hospital closed last December, leaving a big medical care hole in the region. KVPR Sarith Hawk took a tour of the shuttered facility and learned what might come next. Here's her report. Just off Highway 99 in Madera, The county's only general hospital sits dark and quiet in a vast, empty parking lot. The signage already stripped off the front of the building leaves a scar where the name Madera Community Hospital hung for just over 50 years. I'm standing at the entrance to the emergency room. Hospital CEO Karen Palinelli is there to lead me inside. So this is our waiting room, as you can see. Uh, the dark room is lined with rows of empty chairs. This is our triage area. These are our triage rooms here and there, so our nurses come get the patient. They but there are no nurses coming and no patients to serve. Computer monitors are powered down. Hospital beds are frozen in time. You know, I've worked here for 35 years, and I've never seen this ER empty. Every footstep echoes in the silence. Palinelli says about 100 patients a day used to come to the ER, patients who've now had to seek services elsewhere since the hospital closed in late December. So our radiology department got remodeled. And she unlocks actually... the door to a brand new area for radiology services. It has x-ray rooms and a brand new CT scanner, which is similar to an MRI machine. Doctors use it to diagnose diseases as well as determine treatment options. Just two days before it was ready for use, the hospital closed down. It's devastating, really. This is the only CT scanner in our county. The closest hospital is now 20 miles away in Fresno. We just need to open the doors and, uh, you know, start up the operations again. 
finding a solution hasn't been easy. Hospital board chair Deidre De Silva joins us on the tour. She says the priority is finding a financial partner who can restart operations or bring back the health care services themselves. But in order for that to happen, we need a large cash infusion. Um, then we're going to also try to go for private donations, see if we can maybe get it open in a limited capacity. The final option for Madera Community Hospital is bankruptcy and liquidation. But that's a last resort and one that hospital leaders are holding off as long as possible. Is there a cutoff date to where you will need to absolutely file for bankruptcy and there's no other option? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We're close to that. And honestly, you know, if if we can't quickly do something and the state can't step in and help us get this hospital back open, uh, it might be an impossible uh, to open it if we can't find a partner. The hospital has a fully operational facility and many assets, nearly 40 acres of property as well as equipment. But right now, without any services, it's costing roughly $900,000 a month just to maintain the hospital's skeleton operations, like cleaning, security, and accounting. If there's any chance of reopening this facility, we have to maintain it. Palinelli says the hospital's tight-knit community of medical providers was like a family, and the day they had to close... How do, you, how do you tell your employees you're closing your doors and they're not going to have a job? It's very difficult. Yeah, it was awful. But she's not mm-hmm. given up hope, and neither has De Silva. You know, the pressure in, has just been intense. Um, but we're not giving up. We're going to get there. We're going to get this place back open, and we're going to see these halls full again. They say every day Madera Community Hospital stays closed, the harder it will be to reopen. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. Paint Care, now with 846 drop-off sites in California, where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better on the web at schmidtfutures.com. A new state bill would end the exclusion of most domestic service workers from California's workplace health and safety laws. KQED labor correspondent Farida Javala Romero reports on a rally for the legislation in Sacramento. The crowd by the Capitol steps included employers, home cleaners, and nannies like Marta Herrera from San Francisco. Herrera says she couldn't work for months after she suffered an injury on the job. Domestic workers need the occupational health and safety protections that cover other workers, she says. The bill, SB 686, would require private employers to take steps to provide a safer workplace in their homes by 2025. For the California Report, I'm Farida Jabala Romero. And finally, this should be a pretty terrific spring wildflower season in California because of all the rains we've had. But if you'd like to see some beautiful blooms early, the annual Flower Fields Festival has just opened in Carlsbad in San Diego County. Now through May, you can explore 50 acres of ranunculus buttercup flower fields. Plus, there are flower planting workshops, picnics, wine tasting events, and yoga classes overlooking the flower fields. The rain's been good to us, as has the cool temperatures. It's really brought on the ranunculus, and we have really thick stems. 
That's Fred Clark, general manager of the Carlsbad Flower Field, speaking with KPBS in San Diego. You can get more information at theflowerfields.com. And that's the California Report for Thursday, March 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. In regional news, the Grass Valley and Nevada City School Districts announced late this afternoon that all schools and district programs will be closed Friday in the aftermath of this week's disruptive snowstorms. With more than 12,000 households still without power and downed trees blocking roadways countywide, the Office of Emergency Services has declared a local state of emergency for Nevada County. The proclamation is the formal step necessary to request emergency mutual aid from state and federal partners. Craig Griesbach, who heads the County Office of Emergency Services, said today that snowplows are working 24-7 on 12- to 14-hour shifts to clear and reopen roads. He added a joint task force with CAL FIRE, CALTRANS, and PG&E is working to tackle down trees and power lines. We have contracted with local companies to assist our roads crew with plowing. Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a state of emergency in Nevada County and 12 other counties statewide. Caltrans reports that State Route 20 remains closed from Nevada City to the junction of Interstate 80 due to snow. Interstate 80 over Donner Summit opened fully around the middle of the day today with no chain restrictions. Traffic was reported to be heavy. The Sacramento Bee is tallying up the snowfall totals for Monday through Wednesday of this week. It reports that more than two feet of snow fell in areas of the foothills, for example, 26 inches in some parts of Grass Valley. In the greater Lake Tahoe area, between 5 and 8 feet of snow were recorded in some areas, including 92 inches at the Palisades Tahoe Ski Resort. Turning to your regional forecast, it's the proverbial calm before the storm. The National Weather Service is anticipating a winter storm watch for Saturday morning through Monday morning. Another low snow storm is due to move in early Saturday with precipitation lasting through Tuesday. Gusty south to southwest winds are in the forecast for Saturday into early Sunday. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 28. Friday will be sunny with a high near 48. Friday night into Saturday morning, a low of 32 and a chance of rain and snow with new snow accumulation of less than half an inch possible. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, partly cloudy with a low around 12. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 38. Friday night into Saturday morning, a chance of snow, a low around 17, and southwest wind around 10 miles per hour. Little or no snow accumulation is expected Friday. In Sacramento and Woodland, tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 36. Friday, expect patchy morning frost, otherwise mostly sunny with a high near 58 and light wind. Friday night, mostly cloudy, with light south wind and a low around 41. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The long and winding road to expanding high-speed internet for Nevada Countians is paved with environmental impact reports, applications, agendas, resolutions, and other bureaucratic stuff. 
Luckily, KVMR's Julia Jem is here to break down the Board of Supervisors process in the segment we like to call Soups On. Julia, you attended the last meeting. When was it? It was February 28th. Okay. And it was a regular meeting, but it wasn't like previous meetings, right? Yeah, it was different than any meetings that I've attended um, just because it was remote and done through Zoom due to the snowstorm event. Right. So let's get into it. Tell me how it went. It went pretty smoothly despite it being remote. Um, Items number one through 23B were on the consent calendar. And there was one pretty dense item that I'd like to discuss. But before I do that, I can briefly go over some other items. Sure. What do you got in mind? I was thinking of items 9 and 12, which were both on the consent calendar, and then number 24, which was independent. Okay. And the consent calendar went through no problem? Yeah, no problem. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about them. Well, item number nine was a resolution authorizing the Nevada County Public Works Director to submit the Rebuilding American Infrastructure and Sustainability and Equity Grant application for $1.4 million in grant funding to fund the Rough and Ready Highway, Ridge Road, Adams Avenue Intersection Improvement Project. Okay, so that's that was an authorization to apply for money, federal money, to fix that part of our community? Yes. Okay, what else? Well, then there was item number 12, which was a resolution accepting the award of a California Governor's Office of Business and Economic Development Local Jurisdiction Assistance Grant Funding for almost $800,000 for the Local Equity Grant Fund Program to assist applicants and licensees of a local equity program for commercial cannabis activity. Hmm. That's money to help local cannabis farmers. Yes. Okay. And you also mentioned item 24. Yeah, item 24 was a resolution proclaiming March of 2023 as Nevada County Women's History Month. What does the county have in mind? Well, there was a presentation made that highlighted some prominent women from Nevada County in years past, which included a profile and timeline of Sarah Kidder. Uh, Was there any public comment? Um, Not very much public comment, and it was adopted unanimously. There was a lot of support from the board. So that covers the consent calendar and also that special item, which... I think it's pretty cool. Women's History Month officially recognized by the Nevada County Board of Supervisors. Now let's talk about the item that you said is probably the most dense. Yeah, item number 30 was, it's just going to be sort of long, so I figured we could spend some time on that. Um, It was a public hearing to consider a resolution to certify the adequacy of the final environmental impact report for the Nevada County Broadband Program in accordance with the CEQA section 15168. What's, What's the idea here? Well, the board's broadband objective for 2023 is to, quote, equitably expand broadband to support economic development, distance learning, telework, telemedicine, and general quality of life for all residents by championing the implementation of Nevada County broadband strategy plan policies and last mile infrastructure projects, end quote. So in plain English, the idea is to make sure that all Nevada County citizens have access to high-speed internet. Yes, Um, And Nevada County's role, as described in the presentation, is to promote increased local broadband coverage for Nevada County, host training sessions and demand surveys, adopt a Dig Once policy and broadband strategy plan, award significant grants to ISPs, and prepare a programmatic CEQA IER. Okay, so they adopted the resolution to approve the EIR for Mm -hmm. the broadband program. Yes. Tell me what the broadband program is. Um. The broadband program's job would essentially be to fulfill the board's uh, broadband objective that I mentioned earlier. It would provide countywide coverage, including the incorporated cities and towns. It would not include state or federal lands. But there's a pretty rigid CEQA process that must be followed, 
in order to implement something like this. Uh, first, there's scoping. So there was a notice of preparation that was issued on December 17th of 2021. Then a draft EIR was made with a comment period spanning from September 30th to November 14th of 2022. And then after that, the final EIR was released, this one on February 10th of 2023. And it responds to comments and includes revisions to the draft. And finally, a public hearing occurs and board action is taken, which is what took place in this February 28th Board of Supervisors meeting. If I'm understanding you, this last resolution was the end or maybe close to the end of a process whose aim is to bring broadband to as many citizens of Nevada County as possible. Yes, specifically the environmental impact report portion of of that process. Before they can get moving in stretching cable or something of the sort. Yeah. Having said that, are there any particular items or was there anything interesting about the EIR? Um, Well, it found that all potentially significant impacts in the program, and there were 15 of them, could be mitigated to a less than significant level. In the draft EIR, most of the issues raised in the comments related to public health and safety concerns, potential for utility conflicts, state highway encroachment, and tribal coordination. Mm -hmm. And the revisions made to it in the final EIR included clarification of project objectives and minor revisions to mitigation that responded to those concerns. So... There was the EIR, they fixed all the issues, they addressed the public comment. In the end, bottom line, is it passed? Yes, it was unanimously approved. And do we know what happens next? I'm not entirely sure what happens next. The process seems really complicated and it seems like there's several steps to every part of it. But you'll be covering these meetings and so I'm sure we'll hear about it. Yes. All right, well, good news. Hopefully there's faster and more ubiquitous broadband in our county. Yes. Well, with that, Julia, as always, I want to thank you for sitting through these meetings. They can be kind of tough, so thanks for doing that, and uh, I guess we'll be on the lookout for the next one. Awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. When the power goes out here, first I groan a lot, a whole lot. Then I gnash my teeth and feel put upon, never mind that a few thousand of my neighbors are also suffering. I'm actually lucky, since I don't lose heat or hot water or the cooking stove. Those are on propane. I lose light, Wi-Fi, and electrical outlets. Light isn't a problem, because in my 40s I went through a candlestick phase. Not baseball in the old candlestick park in San Francisco. Real candlesticks, brass, silver, ornate aluminum Mexican tridents. I have a candelabra that I bring out only for parties in the winter, which has arms for 20 candles and came from some dumb overpriced bougie catalog. I'm afraid I used to be one of those people who couldn't help but impulse buy things now and then from bougie catalogs. This is where my swan-shaped flower pots came from also, but I digress. At one point, my brother Peter came over for dinner and wondered how it was that all my candlesticks had earrings. This set me back. It was true, though I hadn't noticed. Many of the more artsy ones had glass beads and whatnot dangling from the circular part that holds the wax if you don't buy dripless candles. Five or six of those were on the table. Nothing improves a dinner like candlelight, by the way. 
If you're over 27, it softens the lines beginning to show on your face. And if you're an excitable group, prone to argument or raucous behavior, it calms things down to have that flickering golden tone wash over everything. Losing Wi-Fi and outlets are the real problem here. No phone, no way to connect with friends, or look up when the power is going to be restored sets up a kind of isolation that wrecks me. I'm sitting here writing this at six in the morning to forestall such wreckage. I can't see you, but I know you're going to hear this tonight, so I'm not totally alone in the world. Thank you for providing this boost to my mental health. I'd be less vulnerable to feeling bereft if I'd gotten any sleep, but for the past decade I've needed a machine to help me breathe at night. It's ridiculous, and ridiculous looking, but I sure do feel better in the morning, and I'm no longer at risk for falling asleep in the car. The trouble is, the machine needs electricity. We got a whale of a snowstorm on Monday. The first night of no power, my car and driveway were snowed in. There wasn't much to do except try to sleep and wake up every 45 minutes. The second night, my neighbors and I had dug out our cars and I'd driven around town, so I knew some power was already restored, and I employed magical thinking to convince myself we'd have juice by bedtime. Magical thinking is no match for PG&E. I'm grateful to the real people out there cutting trees and repairing lines in the middle of the night, but I'm a little delirious now for lack of sleep. I have friends with guest rooms, but their power is out too. I think I need to leave town this morning and stop at the first motel I come to whose neon vacancy sign is lit. Wish me luck. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, March 2nd. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weeknight at 6. Remember to tune into KVMR in case of emergency to get up-to-the-minute reports at the top of the hour or as news breaks. If you missed any of our newscasts or interviews, you can listen at kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 p.m. for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.